The Way Out Podcast, episode 177. Park Center was a jock school. And here's me, Alan, and I'm uh, the, the, the nerd, in, not nerd in chief, but I was, there was our, our computer science teacher was named Mr. Fisher. So depending on how much nerdism you had, you were identified with being a, a brand of nuts. So you start off as like a, um, I think a sunflower seed and you made it all the way up to coconut. So <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I'll tell you what happened, but I, you probably, most of your audience, you know, maybe they think I made it to coconut, but in any event, I was in the computers. I was captain of the debate team. I was an orchestra. I was the speech guy. Um, I was involved in my church. I had a higher power, which was God. Um, life was pretty good. I had my dad there for humility and I'll get into that in a minute. Um, you know, so I, you know, Saturdays in high school for me were in winter like this winter time. It was my friends from church and high school. We'd come over and play D and D in my, my mom's basement. She'd make us popcorn. And you know, that's, that's how, what life was like. I was, I spent my, in the fall, I spent, um, my weekends at the university of Minnesota law library, law library as a high school student researching my debate cases with my debate partner. My debate partner went on to get appointments to West Point in Annapolis and has done very well. Um, but anyway, so that was my upbringing growing up. The one thing I'll tell you I can share with the audience that kind of ties into my story is that um, growing up, my dad, I think, sensed this huge ego in me. You know, this, this my mom instilled in me, I had this sense of limitlessness and I could do anything I want. My dad never, I don't know if you believe me, but I can tell you quite honestly, my dad growing up never, and I mean never, told me he was proud of me. Not once. I would stay at the Country Inn and Suites in Bothell. Um, they had a bar there, um, and the bartender there, Frankie. Um, first of all, he gave me, this is a quick aside, he gave me a nickname that I richly deserve. I'm glad he gave it to me, because my wife came with me in my last two trips and found out from the staff all of my shenanigans drinking, what was going on. My nickname at the bar was Bar Sleeper, because <laughs> I, was, I was a passed out drinker, and I earned sure. it. I'm, I'm, I earned it, you know, and, right. and Frankie was Frankie was a good guy. He always made sure I was safe and everything else. But um, so anyway, but I would have, you know, I'd go to the Shell station next door. This is in Washington State, so you can get wine and beer. And I would be drinking all night in my room, you know. And um, I, I thought it was, I thought, here, here, I'll, I got a great idea. When I'm done, I'll put my empties in the common garbage so that the cleaning staff won't know that I was drinking. And sure. I won't forget that I... Well, I spilled wine in my bed. Mm. Oh, and I was blacked out at the bar and everyone was laughing at me. But it seemed, that seemed like a good plan at the time, you know? And then I'd go with my, my, my client was actually my best friend. And so, he, you know, he, I think he had a few concerns about my drinking, but you know, he would take me to the airport in Seattle for the red eye flight back. And I'd go out to dinner and I'd have, I, I'd white knuckle my, my two beers with him, wishing I had, you know, 20 or 10. And only, you know, just get me to the airport to the Sky Club. And so, and, and then I would just be back, you know, I would just get, I would, I would just go and I'm not trying to get on a drunk log, but I would, you know, get loaded, get on a flight, be the only one awake on a red eye flight in first class drinking, get back, have drinks in the Sky Club in the morning, make my son, my oldest son wait for me for an hour and a half to two hours while I got loaded and then came mm, home. So that was all normal for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I, everyone does this. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all normal. Mm -hmm. My son and my daughter's, my daughter's fiance, they sub since broke up and my daughter's fiance, where there's name's David and then there's Ryan. And they're really worried about me. Ryan smokes and he knows I hate that he smokes because, you know, I rescued the oldest one from a, you know, second. Absolutely. Smoke. So he goes, Ryan made this offer to me. He said, you know, because he thought he knows how much I care about him, you know. And he said, hey, if you stop drinking tonight, I'll stop smoking. Of course, you know, what do I do? Oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. No oh, problem. Yeah. yeah. 
So Ryan, I'm waiting for Ryan. I'm like, oh, can you please leave some? As soon as he goes, you know, oblivious to the fact that David's still there, I'm back drinking with my brother-in-law. So David sees this and dutifully reports it to Ryan. And thank God that he did. So um, wife comes back on Monday. And my, by the way, Easter Sunday of 15 was my last day drinking. You're not going with God willing. So April 6, 2015, my first day sober, the wife comes back and she tells me something. And she says, you know, Ryan told just, I just had a conversation with Ryan. You know what he told me? And I go, what? And he said, uh, mom, I love Alan to death. I think Alan's hopeless. Mm. And I think you should leave him. Oh, man. And uh, I'll help oh. him move and find a place. Oh, man. Now, most normal people, that would be a wake-up call. But me, you know, it's all about me, right? I'm the victim. You know, I, it, I'm the center of my own universe. I really didn't, it didn't hit me. Oh. Welcome, Way Out faithful and first-timers, to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and allrecoveryrings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. I'm Charlie, and this week I'm grateful and humbled to bring you the remarkable and unique recovery story of Alan S. I was immediately drawn to Alan as he works both the 12 Steps and the program of Smart Recovery, which complement each other quite nicely. Alan's story is a case in point in why we here at The Way Out Podcast continue to bring you personal stories of recovery from alcoholism and addiction. 
This journey to and through alcoholism isn't one marked by early childhood trauma, adverse childhood experiences, or early abuse of drugs and alcohol. Alan was the quintessential nerd way before it became a cool nerd culture thing right through college, earning high marks and staying far away from any kind of trouble. But as you'll soon learn, there's many paths to alcoholism and addiction, and more than one way out. So listen up. Alan, thank you so much for joining us here on the Way Out Podcast. I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to share some experience, strength, and hope with us here on the Way Out and the Way Out Podcast audience. So why don't you take some time right off the top to introduce yourself to the Way Out Podcast audience and Share as much or as little as you want, but give us a sense of who you are and uh, what recovery means to you. Well, sure. Well, thanks for having me on the on the on the podcast, Charlie. Um, so my name is Alan S. and um, I identify with I identify myself as depending on the kind of meeting I'm in. Either I abuse alcohol, or my drug of choice is alcohol, or I'm an alcoholic. Um, and um, but I'll tell you what my life was like. And then if you want, we can get into what happened and then what, what my life is like now. Love to. Um, so I grew up in um, a small, well, not so small town called Brooklyn Center, Minnesota. I don't know if you're familiar with Brooklyn Center. I am indeed a fellow Minnesotan. I'm familiar with Brooklyn Center for sure. Absolutely. So I, that's where I grew up. Um, I have one younger sister, two years younger than me. I grew up, in, I was born in the 60s, um, kind of grew up in the 70s and 80s. Um, my parents are real easy to describe your audience. If, if any one of your audience, if they're familiar, maybe now through syndication, the show All in the Family, and they know Archie and Edith Bunker, you know my parents. So, <laughs> Yeah, okay. I got a and, great mental picture now. Yep, and my mom is real sweet. My dad had his opinions. My dad was a cabinet maker. My mom worked for a large insurance company. Um, traditional upbringing. My mom left work and took a leave when I'll uh, me many year to leave when my sister and I were born and growing up. Um, I when I grew up, I was the um, I was the the very you know the good kid. Um, I was kind of the you know getting into high school. I was the computer nerd, and when it wasn't so cool to be a nerd in the eighties, early eighties. Today, um, you know, the nerd <laughs> culture has really taken off, hasn't it, Alan? Yeah, it wasn't it has. that way in the 70s and 80s, and even really in the 90s. That nerd culture certainly wasn't a thing at that point. No, it was not. So my high school, I went to Park Center High School, and uh, I went to junior high, Brooklyn Junior High, and um, Park Center was a jock school. And here's me, Alan, and I'm... Uh, the, the, the nerd, in, not nerd in chief, but I was, there was, our, our computer science teacher was named Mr. Fisher. So depending on how much nerdism you had, you were identified with being a, a brand of nuts. So you start off as like a, um, I think a sunflower seed and you made all the way up to coconut. So <laughs> I don't, I don't, I, I'll tell you what happened, but I, you probably, most of your audience, you know, maybe they think I made it to coconut, but in any event, I was in the computers. I was captain of the debate team. I was an orchestra, I was the speech guy, um, I was involved in my church, I had a higher power, which was God, um, life was pretty good, I had my dad there for humility, and I'll get into that in a minute, um, you know, so I, you know, Saturdays in high school for me were in winter, like this, winter time, it was my friends 
from church and high school, we'd come over and play D and D in my, my mom's basement. She'd make us popcorn. And you know, that's, that's how, what life was like. I was, I spent my, in the fall, I spent um, my weekends at the university of Minnesota law library, law library as a high school student researching my debate cases with my debate partner. My debate partner went on to get appointments to West Point Annapolis and has done very well. Um, but anyway, so that was my upbringing growing up. The one thing I'll tell you, I can share with the audience that kind of ties into my story is that um, growing up, my dad, I think, sensed this huge ego in me. You know, this, this, my mom instilled in me, I had this sense of limitlessness and I could do anything I want. My dad never, I don't know if you believe me, but I can tell you quite honestly, my dad growing up never, and I mean never, told me he was proud of me. Not once. And my, my mom would always say, you know, well, Alan, your dad tells everybody else, but he thinks you'll get a big head, you know? And I'm yeah. like, <laughs> I thought, I thought she was lying, you know? I'm yeah. like, nah, nah, he's, he's not. And I, so that was good for me. It kept my ego in check. Right. And, and I had my higher power mom and dad made sure I got the school. I got the confirmation. I was active in youth group. I went to a Bible study in my high school. Um, and, you know, so that was kind of my life. And, and so I got to high school, got into computers, learned everything I could learn from Mr. Fisher. And my senior year of high school in 83, you I remember 83, right? 83, we didn't have iPads and iPhones and um, laptop computers. It was either you had a Timex Sinclair or a Radio Shack computer, TRS-80, which we lovingly call Trash-80, or an Apple II. I remember that the Trash 80s, man. I, it, it, so I graduated in 1997. That was my graduation year in high school. But we had TRS 80s in elementary school. So I'm familiar <laughs> with, the, with, the, with the silver, right? Uh, the, the cassette tape. The cassette tape storage. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. We, we had Math Lab and stuff on those. It was great. I mean, I... I before I was into computers, I'd see those set up at, they had a shopping mall in Brooklyn Park called Village North, and they'd have the, the Radio Shack had it set outside, and I never even bothered looking at it. It looked like a Mickey Mouse thing to me. That's a term, by the way, for my generation, Mickey Mouse. Right. That's you know? <laughs> Many of you will be, yeah, exactly. I got to tell you, so you, you described playing D&D down in the basement of your <laughs> folk house, right? The way they do it today... My youngest son is an avid D&D player with his friends, and they play it after school together, but they also play it online. Like, they, they mm -hmm. all get together online on, in chat, right? And they're mm -hmm. playing D&D &D all together, all online. So, uh, uh, it, a little bit different today, maybe, but uh, well, the, the game's still the same. I know that for sure. Well, I'll share something with you before all the AOL chat and now we have, you know, texting and everything else. Believe it or not, in 1980, when I was a sophomore in high school, Park Center, you could get online and chat with, with students. Now, it was really nerdy. It was on a teletype. Um, it was on a system called MEC, which is, I think now they still run educational software, Minnesota Educational Computing Consortium. And they had like a control data computer and they had a program called XTalk. So you could get on and meet other high school students, nerds, um, and talk to them in 1980. You know, the, like, was, the, the, like the genesis, man. Right, of, yeah. Of messaging apps, right? That's right. And, um, and so I actually met, I had met a, I met a girl in Edina, um, and, she, and we started corresponding in snail mail, and she sent me her picture. Well, the chief nerd, it was a guy who was a year older than me named Greg, and um, I said, oh, by the way, um, I think this golf you know, person, this girl is really nice. She's a Medina. She's really nice. That's her handle. And uh, he's like, yeah, 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 right. 
And so I made the mistake of showing him her picture. Yeah. Because she's beautiful. And <laughs> true story, like within the net, within 24 hours, not only had he met her, they were going out. I'm like, you see? Yeah. I'm like, oh. I'm you like, know, the competition. Why I did I show him? Absolutely, 100%. The competition <laughs> among high school boys was fierce. And I don't care what group you were in. The, the competition amongst your peers and your friends uh, for uh, the pretty girl uh, was absolutely uh, fierce, no doubt about yep. it. <laughs> yep. So yep. you're laying a little bit of the groundwork. It's interesting. It, 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 your dad never said that he was proud of you. Did that set some approval seeking? Well, there your... was. Yes, it was good because you're you're onto that. What I was getting at, but the the yes, I, I mean, I strove really hard. You know, just like a plant trying to find the sunlight, I just kept pushing and pushing myself to do more and more and more. Yeah. Never said he. So I got to be. 10th grade, 11th grade, 12th grade. Nope, nope. It's doing some cool stuff. So what I'm building up to is this. So my last, in Park Center, they had trimesters. So um, I, towards the end of the sec, my second trimester, my senior year, Mr. Fisher said, you know, Alan, I've taught you everything I know. So for your last trimester, why don't you do an independent study? Not only that, I got a project for you. I don't think, no, this is him. He knew me too. I don't think you can do it. It's pretty tough. <laughs> I'm like, do tell. Bring it on. So they, yeah, so they had, remember it's 83. So they had uh, bought an Echo 2 voice synthesizer card for one of the Apple computers for the school, school district 279 in Osseo. And they had a girl named Michelle who was going to Garden City who, um, who was handicapped. She had cerebral palsy. She had no motor skills in one hand, partial motor skills in another. And she used to point to words in books called bliss symbols to talk. Sure. And enter Allen with the challenge. Um, you know, a lot of people didn't understand. I didn't write the drive. You'll know this because I think you sound like you're technical. I, the, I didn't write the drivers to make the speaker work, but th yeah. that was that came with the card. But no, right. no one had the attention to put anything together. So I wrote an application using AppleSoft Basic to store her vocabulary. I got her requirements from her teacher. I get to I put this whole software package together so she could organize sentences with one keystroke like A and bring all the letters words that she knew with A, add it to a buffer. She could speak it and I tuned it to a girl's voice. And then the other thing I did is I put sentences already organized, topically organized together. And as a side note, and today she's an amazing, amazing woman. Um she's she's got her she lives in a uh she lives in her own apartment through Opportunity Partners. But she uses an app on the iPad called Verbally, and there's a free one and there's a paid one. But if you look at Verbally, same design as what we came up with in 1983. That's tremendous. So, any, so anyway, I get to this thing, and my, my mom's neighbor behind us told the Brooklyn Center Post, by the way, send a report over to Garden City. You're going to see something cool. So they, they came over, and they took this picture. I know your viewers won't be able to see it, but here's a picture of me the moment she used the soft, my software so she could talk. Oh, that's tremendous. That's tremendous. And we got to find a way to share that uh, on the show notes. So we're going to – whatever we got to do in order to share sure. that on the show notes, we'll get that done. So if you're listening to this now, uh, look at the show notes. We'll have that there for you. So the, in the – thank you. So the header says, Michelle finds her voice. So – you know, I mean, like, like the, I got a lot of accolades for this thing in school, not from dad yet, but from a lot of teachers, the high school football coach, um, Mr. Hermes, he, he never really gave me much mind. And I was walking down the, the day this newspaper article came out in April of 83, I was walking down the hall and he barks out my name like, Alan, 
And I walk, <laughs> I'm kind of intimidated by this guy. And I'm like, uh, yes. And he looks at me a long moment, very serious, not smiling. He kind of nods his head like with some approval. And he goes, that was a nice thing you did. I'm like, oh, thanks. <laughs> and anyway, I got a, um, I got a, I applied for a Rotary Club scholar, a Rotary Club scholarship with the Brooklyn Center Rotary Club. I got the scholarship, got to meet the mayor and a bunch of people. Dad took me there, get out to dad's truck. He turns to me and for the first time in my life, he didn't quite say it directly, but he says, Alan, you know, I'm proud of you, don't you? And I'm like, <laughs> cool, you know, <laughs> yeah. but you know what? I can tell you something now, Charlie, that and I really believe this. I don't think my dad should have even said that because that was a very dangerous prospect for me to hear from my dad. Sure. Um, because I think that planted the seed that maybe, maybe you have, Alan, you know what? You really are. The world really does revolve around you. You're and, a pretty big freaking deal. <laughs> yep, exactly. You know the drill. <laughs> so um, that, you know, fast forward, I went to college. I went to Mankato State. Um, you know, I set some goals in my life. I and if anybody able- knows Mankato State, and if you don't know Mankato State, Mankato State comes with a reputation that oh, God, yes. itself <laughs> in terms of being the classic and quintessential party school. Yep. And, um, and, and it was, and I, 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 I did drink in college, but you know, honestly, Charlie, I didn't have a lot of money. Mom and dad were paying for my school. So by virtue of the fact that I didn't have a lot of money to buy alcohol, I did drink, but I wasn't, you know, I didn't go crazy. And I was, I was the guy helping the other guys on my dorm floor back into their lofts when they, when they drank a whole bottle of schnapps and couldn't get back in. You know, I kind of took care of people. I did campus crusades. So life's still going good, but something changed in my college years. You know, and I want to talk about that because that's, I think that's really interesting, Alan. Uh, many of us, me included, got a real early start in terms of abusing, heavily abusing drugs or alcohol or both. And I think a story like yours is really instructive in terms of we get here in a lot of different ways. And the path to both active addiction and alcoholism and recovery is unique i think there's universal tenants and and we're going to explore those as you go through your Mm -hmm. story but i think it's really instructive to know that you know it's not like you were 14 sitting out on the porch you know um uh, getting wasted right Mm -hmm. Uh, so tell me what what changes in college because it sounds like at least for the first little bit in college it's it's very much you know business as usual right yeah, same, kind of like high school, except I was living at, on campus and in the dorms. I went to Campus Crusade, but I started thinking and not realizing what I was doing that, you know what, I really don't need to make my higher power God. I can actually make it me and only go back to God when I need him, you know, or her. And so that's kind of, that planted the seed as I got done to the college. I got an internship at a phone company, started making some money that was, you know, not like minimum wage. And I uh, got on my own and, and uh, lived with mom and dad for a short while after in 87 after I graduated. And then I got my own place with another guy I worked with at a phone company. He was an operator. And that, and that began my, my journey as Alan's, Alan S., um, he who has higher power of himself. Now, know? was that a conscious thought or was that just no. behavior, your behavior was consistent with, I don't really need uh, a God in my life? It was, yeah, it was more, it was more, um, it wasn't conscious thought and it was more like, it was more just 
at some level, I just decided I had a, I had a higher power name only. God was on the shelf when I only need, I only reached out to God when I needed God. And other yeah. than that, I can take care of this on my own. I, I'm pretty clever. I got this. I gave this girl the power to speak. All these things, you know. And I'm, I got out of high school or college. In and four Al, years if you're and, like if you're like me, mm-hmm. you didn't let people get know you for too much, too, for for too very long before you let them know that you had done that. Oh yeah, oh, you know. Well, if you're like me, <laughs> right? Well, About well, six minutes into a new a, a new acquaintance. I've now well informed you of all of my triumphs, right? Well, yeah, I, there's a term I, I, I was described by a psychologist um, later on, and I'll tell you about that. My psychologist, when I got custody of my oldest son, he said, he, this is what he said about me. So I, later on, I got custody. Of, I'll get back to it, but I had to get custody of my son. But you do these custodial evaluations, and the, and the doctor that saw me, um, he was from, he lives in Mason City, and he said this about me. He, though he recommended I have physical custody of my son, and I got physical custody of my son, he said this about me. And this is great. For, I, I share this at the podium when I speak at AA meetings, or 12-step meetings. It's Alan is self-centered, self-dramatizing. That's the part you're talking about. And he has an, a whole wide assortment of annoying personality traits, which apparently haven't yet affected his lifestyle. <laughs> <laughs> and and of course this guy had the personality of Frazier. So he was very composed and professional, but when I called one too many times to follow up on the results, he got he, he became on hands like really quick and got really angry with me. I'm like, oh God. <laughs> and um but now That's I realize tremendous. but now I realize those those personality traits are very deadly personality mm. traits. But in any event, you know, yeah, that's part of my, that's part of my makeup. I, I'm, you know, that, that part, it re, re, my ego was coming out in full bloom and a lot of people can't handle it and they shy away. And then I have my enthusiasm is over the top on a lot of things. And so, I mean, I had, I, I graded people, you know, and it's like, they couldn't put their finger on it, but they were like, you know, I, I can only take so much Alan and that's it, you know, and uh, I, I've, I've come to accept that. I mean, that's who I am, you know, and I try to, you know, through work in a program recovery, try to uh, become self-aware and self-correcting, as we say, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so you, you're out on your own. You're starting to make some real money. You're, you're, uh, you've shelved your higher power because you're feeling quite powerful in your own right. Right. And I, so I got married to a woman. We had a, she had kind of a dependent personality. We were married, had a son together. That son turns 30 next month. Um, we, it just was, it did, we just grew apart. Um, I, you know, just, it, we just, for whatever reason we live, we, we actually, I moved to St. Louis where it lived there a year, moved to Chicago there five years. And while I was there, got, um, bought my first home, got, had, had my oldest son, got divorced, um, had my own consulting practice in, in, uh, Chicago. I thought again, thought that was, I was all that. Look at me. I'm not even 30. I'm doing, got my own consulting gig going. I got my own company. Of course, I'm the only employee. And, uh, <laughs> so anyway, um, I started realizing I really missed my son who was a very small boy and, and he was living in Northern Iowa. So I, I, I packed up and moved back to Minnesota. Uh, got a job with, uh, the railroad doing IT stuff. And I uh, met another woman who became my second wife, and this was a pretty toxic relationship. Now, she didn't really like me paying child support for my son, and my son had a stepfather who was um, harm- putting him in harm's way. Um, I called him at the time Charles Manson's twin brother. And um, so I got, I, 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 once things got really bad, 
I petitioned the courts in Northern Iowa for custody. A lot of people were like, "Yeah, right. You're gonna, you won't." Especially do that. at that time. What what year was that? That ninety six. In nineteen ninety six. Yeah. The courts were very very tilted toward mothers, and it was very difficult at that time for fathers to get custody, full right. custody for sure. Yep. And um, I had some help and I had to hire a detective and, you know, the, the, the main issues was secondhand smoke. It was causing my son health problems. And then um, child support paid by yours truly going to buy um, marijuana for the stepfather to smoke. But what really got it cooked, the situation negative for my, my ex to, to retain physical custody was um, he was inviting children to come in and partake of the marijuana paid for by me. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, it's neither near nor there, but I got sole physical custody of my son. My wife at the time was like, well, that's great. You don't have to pay child support, but I never really wanted him here to begin with. So we grew apart and got divorced. So here I am in my own home in Plymouth with my son, who's, you know, just starting. I think he was moving from kindergarten to first grade. Um, so and single so, father, right? Yep. And yep. how old are you at this time? Uh, let's see, 97. So about uh, 32, 33. Yeah. Okay. So you're in your early 30s, right? Coming yep. off of a, a second divorce. And by the way, I can intimately identify. I've been divorced three times. So I can mm. intimately identify with a, 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 a past that was riddled with dysfunctional relationships. And so you're coming off of a second divorce, early 30s, single father, I had to be hard. Um, it, I had a lot of support. It wasn't as bad as it, it seemed. And, and, and I had some other things I was doing to, to feed my ego. So this is, a, and by the way, this is about the time. Let me go back to the second wife. When we would have, we were married two years, no children, thank goodness. But would have been, it would have been about nine months. It was that toxic. Now, in that time, unfortunately, she had a younger brother who committed suicide. And I just mm-hmm. don't believe in helping, kicking people when they're down. So I helped, her parents were great people. Um, I, I tried to get them through the, help them with the grieving process as a son-in-law. And that's when I began to realize that my father-in-law at the time, would, would he sat at the table and drank beer to get himself through this thing. Sure. And so I drank with him, you know, mm-hmm. and I chose to do that. And I chose to learn a, 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 a growing pattern of behavior is, you know, f- you know, which I later now realize are fears and resentments dealing with them that, you know, this is a solution. So now I began at this point when I was divorcing my second wife and going out and being a single dad and, you know, and with a, with a custody of his son, I began to use my new higher power, which is out became alcohol. Mm. Okay. Mm. And then on top of it, you know, I work in it and being professional. Um, I, I, I actually, it's the, it's kind of weird, but when I was, when I was dating, the second wife, I broke up with her three times. On the third breakup, I ended up meeting the woman that's now met my wife as of Sunday, 20 years, as wow. last Sunday. And we met at, a, of all places, we met at a nightclub. <laughs> and back then when I go, I wouldn't, I wouldn't drink. I just drank. I didn't want to get in trouble. I just show up in my convertible and I drink water or Diet Coke and showed up on ladies night on Thursday night. And I see this beautiful woman, uh, dancing, beautiful Indian woman dancing. And, uh, and uh, with some guys, she looked bored, so I just cut in and started dancing with her. We danced the rest of the night. 
I, I said, man, I, I've got to ask her out for, you know, a dinner. And I asked her and she laughed at me and she goes, you're way too young for me. I'm like, how old do you think I am? And she said 23. And I showed her my license. She showed me hers. Well, we're 11 days apart in age. Oh, wow. So she's like, hey, I'm here with my sister. You want to go out to Perkins for breakfast? So we went out to have breakfast, became friends. She wasn't in a place where she was really ready to start a serious relationship. And I didn't know what I wanted. So we kind of just, we met at 95, stayed friends. Now we get to September of 98. We, we, I, I said, Hey, why don't we go out for, you know, birthday, uh, uh, dinner for our birthdays. It was, you know, 11 days apart and we've been together ever since. And wow. she had two children from her first marriage. Um, my stepchildren, Amanda and Ryan, and, um, they were a little bit younger than my oldest son, Brandon. And so we decided, you know, she had her own home in Columbia Heights we lived with it. She got on her own with her mom. So the nice thing about that was for her and I, our situation, I always believe in the relationships you, you have to based it on need or want, not need, right? So yes. I didn't need to be with her to have a place to live, and she didn't need to be with me. So we blended our families together. Um, my parents, who didn't hated my second wife, didn't like the first wife, love her. Then they meet her and her mom and, and Amanda and Ryan, and my dad called me up the next day after meeting him one time, and he was like, oh, well, you want permission to marry, marry, you know, marry your wife. You got our, you've got our permission right off the bat. And I'm like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so got married. And blending a family is not always easy. So, it, it, but you know, it isn't, but what made it easier for us is we both had, we all had, we both had physical custody of our kids. So we didn't, you know, the visit, you know, that, that really helped out a lot because when, if I was only seeing Brandon every other weekend, that's a whole different thing. Cause I'm going to treat, I'm going to be different than if I'm seeing my, you know, seeing there's him. No doubt time. about it, that there's a different dynamic when your kids are part-time, right? You, yep. it, it's a completely different mindset, right? Uh, than if you have them both have them full time a hundred percent. Yep. So, um, Blended our families together, um, had a developed very close relationship with Amanda and Ryan, and we're still close. Um, Ryan especially. And my, my wife kept telling me, you know, uh, alone, she would say, you know, and this is when Ryan was like, you know, seven, eight years old. He's like, he and now, and now he's 25, by the way, just got married, and he's going to be making me a grandfather. But, he's, but she, was, she told me, Ryan really likes you. And I always thought, you know, here's this, here's this wonderful young man, and he's very funny and, and very spirited and everything else. And, and every once in a while, he'd give me a glimpse that he had some really deep standards and, and convictions, but it didn't come out very much. And I underestimated how close he was to me, and, and, I'll, and you'll understand why when I finish my story. But so at this time, I'm traveling now for business. I started noticing like, hey, you know what? I went with, I had a consultant working for me at, at the company I work for and uh, he took me, we were going to Chicago and he traveled all over. He had like, uh, you know, elite diamond status or whatever on American and he's like, oh, here, you know, here's some drink coupons and we're going to go on first class, you know, and they hand me like, you know, five rums, you know, and I'm like, this is really cool. I'm like, you know, I get to be up front and I'm important. People, yeah. I finally now getting the recognition I deserve. You know, do you know who I am? And I, I, I have arrived. I've arrived. This is my, this is my, you know, I was holding court, but it was in the first class seat on the airlines. Absolutely. So I started booking trips. Charlie, Char I started booking trips just to travel for when I really didn't need to, to start mm -hmm. racking up some loyalty and getting mm -hmm. upgraded. And that was like a contest, you know, and at the same time, um, 
you know, I, I just, it, it just my, it, that that's really now where I'm starting to shift my, my higher power to alcohol. I was still, I would consider myself still in the minor leagues. I hadn't gotten to the point where I did blackout drinking and drinking at 5 a.m. in the morning, but I was well on my way. Um, Were you like me, Alan, in that uh, I'm in the, I've been in the IT industry now 20 plus years. Oh. And vendor sponsored trips and those kinds of things. I really enjoyed them because I felt like it was whatever I did on them didn't count. <laughs> well, yes, I, I, I would say <laughs> yes. And then I tried to come up with a whole travel culture, lifestyle and all. And, um, and later on, I mean, my, the job, the job I was at, I was with a large uh, wireless carrier. My job was going away and they, they offered me a promotion to go to Seattle. So this is, brings us up to about 2004. And so I decided, you know, yeah, I'm going to, it's all about Alan, you know, who gives a, you know, who gives a, you know, what, if my kids don't want to go or my wife doesn't go, it's all about me. You know, it's my career. This is, this is my show. Absolutely. You know, the, you know, so we're going to move. So I got, I was reporting to a vice president who I'm, by the way, I'm still friends with. And, um, you know, I got a, I got like a director's moving package, which are great, you know, more trips and things. And it came time. I moved I went out ahead of time and it was living in a, I just rented a room until I could, we could buy a house. We had an offer on a house that we were going to make. And my wife's like, well, the kids don't want to move and I don't want to move. She got to put her foot down. I'm like, well, sure. What do I do? In the meantime, my company, the company I went there for was getting acquired by another company. And I'm like, well, you know what? I'll just buy a condo and they'll pay my travel and we'll just see where it goes. I didn't have a plan because I just like, it, because, you know, hey, great. And then I can travel even more, rack up even more loyalty, get platinum status on Northwest and Delta and life's great. You know, that's what I did. And, um, you know, there'd be times where I wouldn't come home on the weekends. I'd spend weekends in Seattle and start building a life out there away from my family. And, you know, this is the sense, this is a sensitive part of my story, but my wife basically was like, she was basically ready to throw the towel in her marriage sure. because my actions told her you're not important to me anymore. Right. Right. Now, unbeknownst, here's the, here's the big part of my story when it comes to finding my willingness, Charlie. So unbeknownst to me, my stepson, Ryan, now I have two other kids too. They, 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 they were either oblivious or just didn't want to get involved, but Ryan understood what she was doing, Yeah, that she was preparing to leave me at nine years old. He nine. was in tune to that. You know, some kids are and some kids aren't, right? He was, oh, in, right. He was Ryan very in tune. Yeah. He's very in tune and he cares deeply. Um, he's an amazing, you know, uh, my sponsor actually has become friends with him in his own right because they wrench cars together Yeah, and he's just amazed by him. But in any way, in any event, not unbeknownst to me, Ryan, you know, Brian got up to <laughs> got up in my wife's face and was like, how dare you plan to leave Alan mom? You know, this is, you're, you're a fool and went into this whole thing with her. And, um, so I didn't know that was happening. And uh, anyway, eventually the travel, you know, with traveling and this and that, I, I finally believe it and I just couldn't handle it. I'm like, this is just too crazy. And I sensed my fam my wife starting to pull away. So I just told the, the executive report to her in Atlanta. I'm like, you got to lay me off. Let me go. I'm going to find another job. You got to let me go. He's like, are you sure? I'm like, yes. Are you really sure? Yes, I'm really sure. So, and, and, and uh, so, um, <laughs> He uh, he went in. I'm laughing because his his name for now. This is a great this is a great boss for an alcoholic. His name was Johnny Walker. Yeah, 
<laughs> and by the way, no sense of humor about his name. Great guy. Fantastic the, guy. The Johnny, Johnny Walker lets you off the hook. That's, that doesn't happen very often. Oh. Where Johnny <laughs> Walker lets you off the hook on purpose. Yeah, but by the way, a great guy. I mean, just just a decent, really good guy. Um, so anyway, he laid me off. I moved back. I got a director's job, you know, traveling for that job now, keeping the party going. And, um, you know, at this point, too, part of my health problems, and it also was a problem my marriage, was my weight. And I'm big, but I was big then. You know, I, yeah. I weighed about 400 pounds. Mm. So this is what helped me now. I want to be real clear on this. I was well on the road to becoming an alcoholic. It was going to happen. Okay. Because of all, you know, just, you know, you doing falling back to my, my higher power to deal with fears and resentments. But what I got a, I got a leg up on becoming into the majors and getting into my cups for, for real. And that was, I had gastric bypass surgery. Okay. So 2008, I had this surgery. I lost 174 pounds. Now I'm back. As crazy as this sounds, I'm back on the road. I went on, I, I got laid off from my director's job got laid off from another job that was a, with a small company. So now I'm back at, I'm back at the same wireless company <laughs> on a six month contract in 07, which by the way, I left that group um, April last year. So that turned out to be 11 year gig. <laughs> and for the first, over the, fir the first six years of it, I had to travel again. So I, I'd sold the condo. I wish I had kept it. Now I'm traveling again, but this time now I've lost all the weight. Um, you know, I lost the weight probably one year into this consulting gig. And you'd think life would be great, but you know what? I started feeling like, you know, how could I let myself, you know, get this far detached with my family? Here I am detached again. Um, and, you know, now one drink for me would be like six for you, Absolutely. right? Because the gastric bypass, they shorten your intestine and it's, you, the, the alcohol gets in your blood way sooner. And, and so I had some resentments about my, and fears about my wife planning to leave me back in your, you know, the previous time. And so all of that just fueled um, my, my justified resentments and, and everything else. And so consequences started mounting, but I never had gotten a DUI. So I always put that in my wife's, you know, I've never gotten a DUI. When I do, come back and talk to me. And I had a lot of drinking triggers. Um, one, of them, one of them was my wife was out of town. Um, and so this is the part now I'll get back to Michelle, the girl from that I did the system for. So around this time, Charlie, one of her, her caretakers at, at Opportunity Partners found me on social media. Mm. And so we got together and I'll, I can show you a picture, but I gave her a framed copy of that newspaper article and we met at a coffee place in Minneapolis and I started doing some service work with her and took her, did things with her, took her to a nursing home to see her dad. And by the way, Michelle is like a rock star. Mm. When people... People love Michelle. I mean, they literally it'd be like if Gandhi was still alive, it'd be like going with him. Like, yeah. like, because she has such a positive attitude and doesn't let anything get her down. And it just, it just drips off of her. I show up at this nursing home that my dad had been with before he passed away. We were there to visit her mom and the whole staff was like, Michelle's here. And they're all like, they're rushing past me to see her, you know? Yeah. And the, and it's, it was just amazing to be in her orbit. And she represents to me the only thing in my career that I've done, Charlie, that I'm proud of. I didn't yeah. know the best would come first, but it did. Mm. You know, it's the only thing I feel worth that I've really done worthwhile in my IT career is, is enabling her, giving her the power to speak at that young age. So, so now I'm doing things with her. And I told her, oh, by the way, Michelle, um, I kind of have a problem. Once in a while, I drink too much, but it's not a big deal. You know, and she had asked me about having a sleepover. 
And so I finally said, yeah, let's do it on this weekend, right? It was in, I think it was 2013. Well, lo and behold, it was a weekend my wife was planning to be out of town. Now, anyone I think with an ounce of sanity would say, hey, you know what? If I'm going to bring this young woman over, or this woman over so I can take care of her, I can't do that if I'm going to be binge drinking. She's going to end up taking care of me. So, I'll, no, I can't do it. I'll make an excuse. Don't do it. But, you know, me, see, all the rules that apply to you, Charlie, and your listeners, they don't apply to Alan. Right. I'm special. So, right. yes, come on over. Let's do this. Of course, <laughs> so this, will, I, this will be just fine. Oh, yeah. Yeah, this will go great. So, I was binge drinking wine in a like a shake glass or a shake cup. And she was wondering why I was crying. And I said, well, cause I missed my wife. It's all, you know, all BS, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. And I missed my wife, but I'm just saying that was just my, so any, anyway, I was blacked out and I decided my alcohol was more important than in taking care of her. So she ended up taking care of me. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the things that, that is one of the consequences of my, of my addiction that um, I've had to accept. And now because of this, and I understand, um, she has, she has a caretaker or a guardian, you know, I'm, and, and she has feelings about this too. I'm sure I'm, I'm not allowed to see her anymore. Yeah. And when it came time for me in 12 step to make amends, I made, I made, I'm making a living amends to her by staying mm. sober, by going to meetings because seeking her out and forcing an amends on her would do more harm than good. You know, how this goes. Of course. If I ran into her and she wanted to sit down and have coffee, would I make an amends? Yeah, if, if that's God's will. Absolutely. But it's if, not, if, you know, that- absolutely, 100%. Yep, if the universe and a, uh, a collective higher power decides that that's, that's what's in your path and yet it's in front of you, you do it, right? But yep. to intentionally do that uh, uh, isn't – we don't get to unburden ourselves at the expense of another. Yep, exactly. So – so that was one thing. Still didn't have the DUI. Um, I tried to moderate my drinking. If you read page, uh, you know some some of the the pages of the twelve step books, they talk about people that tried moderation. All that applies to me. And I love so, that. I love that. Well, I didn't have a DUI because we all have those things. Well, uh, I'm not an alcoholic because I haven't done this. I don't have a problem because <laughs> I haven't done that. Right. But we keep moving the line. Right. So. It oh yeah. If that line is arbitrary, is all hell. Right. Yep. Because once you cross that line, you just think of another reason why you're not. Yep, exactly. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, exactly. And around this time, by the way, so let me talk about 12 step versus another program. I do two programs. I do 12 step and I do smart recovery. So I love, by the way, for the listeners, if you haven't listened to listen to podcast number 175, it Absolutely. goes into a lot of great information um, by Dennis and Charlie about the differences and, and benefits of both of the programs. I do both. Okay. Which I get- think this is great. We're going to explore that, that, mm-hmm. uh, that you work both programs. So was this event with Michelle, mm-hmm. was that the event that sort of got, gave you the willingness to be able to make a change? Not yet. Still had a way to go. <laughs> Wasn't enough. Well, it wasn't enough, but we'll get. It, it, I'm almost at that point. But um, but what I was doing around this time was because, um, you know, my wife was very unhappy. And by the way, let me share another quick facet of this. So I'm traveling. I don't have to tr- be in Seattle now all the time, but I'm going about once every other once every other week, then once a month, and all. You know, my drinking. The consequences are building. Right. Mm-hmm. My wife's not happy. My kids are beginning to not be happy. So tell me if this isn't. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before, but my here's my thinking. You know, all this mayhem and drama, drama, drama drama around my home. You know what? 
what's that song I learned in school, leaving on a jet plane? I'm like, yeah, I'm just going to leave all my problems behind, go to Seattle for my next trip. And everything will be fine. And, oh, <laughs> I took my problems with me. Yeah. Right. And, um, right. you know, that's a, I hear that a lot in the rooms and, and, you know, that's certainly part of my story. I, I fooled myself into thinking, oh, I'll just leave these behind. Came right with me. Um, I was doing, I, 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 oh, by the way, there's another one too. Uh, you'll love this. Don't laugh too loud. This is my belief at the time. I don't believe this now. I voluntarily put myself into treatment, outpatient treatment. And um, that one I just declared, I never did a UA. I'm like, I don't have a DUI. All you guys are the sick ones. I don't, you know, I don't know if this sounds familiar. I don't belong here. I'm special. 100%. 100%. You guys are the sick ones. I have the sick of choice. 100%. I'm out of here. Bye-bye. 100%. Yep. And and at the same time, and I talk about this on the Smart Recovery Me and I facilitate, we'll get into that in a minute, but I started, I joined Smart Recovery, and since I went to Seattle, I thought, you know, here's a good name. I'm sleepless in Seattle. Ha, ha, ha. But I'm, <laughs> oh, that's yeah. a good name. So that's my, my, my handle on Smart Recovery is sleepless in Seattle because of these trips. So I'm on Smart Recovery. I'm on these online meetings. I went to a couple face-to-face -face meetings. They don't have a lot going on in Twin Cities that are the open meetings that anyone can go to. But anyway, so I'm on the laptop, and now I'm, you know, this, and this is, by the way, I want to be real clear with your listeners. This is perfectly okay for anyone to do. It's just like coming, someone coming to a 12-step meeting because they need their court card signed. Is that okay? Yes. Absolutely it is. Just get to the meeting. I just got to the meeting. Now, I didn't let it penetrate who I am. So I knew the smart tools, didn't use them. Right. I had the laptop up and I had it on so my family could hear it, but I wasn't letting it penetrate, but it was the beginning and it's okay. That's okay. All right. So that was me. I was on the laptop, did smart. And then I decided, nah, I don't need to do that. Don't need to be in treatment, moderating my drinking, get to 2015. So, so the first, the first stint, you, you take a look at this and you say, it, it, very much like my first two attempts very early at recovery boy are you all sick <laughs> holy <laughs> moly yep boy and, and this program sounds great by the way these 12 steps sound tremendous for you people <laughs> oh, and based on what i've heard yeah. um you need it <laughs> y'all need this yep. now now i i'm not like you I've actually got this thing handled and all that stuff that happened that sort of, you know, that, that makes me need to get a card signed. That was a rough patch. I get it. It got a little out of control. I'll admit that. But you know what? Based on what I've learned here, I'm going to be able to go ahead and manage it going forward so it won't be a problem. But oh, yeah. I think you guys are great. <laughs> 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 you know, and, you and, must have had and, a tape recorder in my in my tree. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And 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 you know, uh, God bless you people for uh, for this program. Um, mm -hmm. uh, we'll we'll catch you on the flip side. Yep. And I would add another one. Oh, and you guys definitely need a sponsor. I don't. Absolutely. No, I, I I'll sponsor <laughs> exactly. myself. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yeah. I don't. I'll just check in with myself every day. That'll be fine for me. Yeah. <laughs> So, so when we get to 15 and, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to control this thing and it's slowly going off the rails and I'm my, my, in my own head, I'm like, when can I get some alone time? Because, you know, just going out, you know, I would try to, I would try to look 
or control my, you know, control my drinking. By the way, that's real dangerous sign for me. If I have to control my drinking, that means I got a problem. I didn't realize that then. We don't realize that. And it's funny. We don't have to control our, you know, like applesauce use. <laughs> right? Yeah, that's true. You know what yeah. I mean? Yep. Like if I'm, if I'm trying to debate whether I have a problem and I'm trying to control it and manage it, it's a, it's a fucking problem. Yep. Exactly. Right? Yep. Uh, it's, so. Yeah. So, right. I mean, good point. So, um, you know, I would try to, and by the way, so when I was traveling, just so you know, this is my sanity at the time. So I wanted to look normal, right? So this is, this is just, this is, and, and, and you can, you go into the rooms, you hear the stories and everyone's got a little version, different version. Mine was, this is my version of sanity was when I was traveling, um, I would stay at the country Inn and suites in Bothell. Um, there, they had a bar there um, and the bartender there, Frankie. Um, first of all, he gave me this to quick aside. He gave me a nickname that I richly deserve. I'm glad he gave it to me because my wife came with me in my last two trips and found out from the staff, all of my shenanigans, drinking, what was going on. My nickname at the bar was bar sleeper because <laughs> I, was, I was a passed out drinker and I earned sure. it. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, I earned it, you know, and, right. and Frankie was, Frankie was a good guy. I always made sure I was safe and everything else. But, um, so anyway, but I would have, you know, I'd go to the Shell station next door. This is in Washington State, so you can get wine and beer. And I would be drinking all night in my room, you know. And um, I, I thought it was, I thought, here, here, I'll, I got a great idea. When I'm done, I'll put my empties in the common garbage so that the cleaning staff won't know that I was drinking. And sure. I won't forget that I, well, I spilt wine in my bed. Mm. Oh, and I was blacked out at the bar and everyone was laughing at me. But it seemed, that seemed like a good plan at the time, you know, and then I'd go with my, my, my client was actually my best friend. And so he, you know, he, I think he had a few concerns about my drinking, but you know, he would take me to the airport in Seattle for the red eye flight back. And I'd go out to dinner and I'd have, I, I'd white knuckle my, my two beers with him wishing I had, you know, 20 or 10 and only, you know, just get me to the airport to the sky club. And so, and, and then I would just be back, you know, I would just get, I would, I would just go and I'm not trying to get on a drunk log, but I would, you know, get loaded, get on a flight, be the only one awake on a red eye flight in first class drinking, get back, have drinks in the sky club in the morning, make my son, my oldest son wait for me for an hour and a half to two hours while I got loaded and then came mm, home. So that was all normal for me. Right. Mm -hmm. I, everyone does this, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, it's all normal. Mm -hmm. so, anyway especially if i think nobody else really knows right that's the key oh yeah there, right yeah. i think that i've got everybody else snowed mm -hmm. and exactly. they don't know right it, it, and often obviously that's not the case no and one testimony to the fact that i was there and I tell this to the company I work with now. I, I, I've shared with my current, my current um, co-workers that, that I'm an alcoholic. But they travel all the time to Asia through Seattle. And I'm like, well, if you ever go to the Sky Club on S Concourse, you can thank me that there's a shower there. Because I was there so much. And I had the three-year pass. And I had the platinum membership. And I knew the, all the staff took one to a Mariners game. That when they came time to redesign the Sky Club, they didn't originally have a shower plan. And I, I wrote into Delta and said, are you nuts? You got to put this in. See, I'm the hero. That's give me more drinks. Right. I got you the shower. So when you come back from, from Beijing, you can have a shower. So and again, know, and again, you probably uh, uh, took uh, uh, many a opportunity to let people know that that shower's there, right? Oh heck yeah, I still do. That's my ego. Still do. I'm like, but you know, but you know, let's 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 be real. They open up another Sky Club on a different concourse of like 
multiple shower baits. Right. So they don't <laughs> need the one I they don't need the one that I suggested they have, right? So, but anyway, 2015, I'm not traveling all because I knew if I kept traveling, I'd die. So I, I was able to arrange. I was I was a contractor for like nine years out of the 11 with this company. So I arranged to not have to travel. Thank goodness. And I love this the idea. Now we're in this point where, oh, well, I can't do that, right? We're still in that management mode, right? And, right. and, and so many of us can identify with that. Like, well, I can still drink, but I just can't drink and go out uh, 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 out of town. That's really the issue is going out of town. Right, right, right. right. Yep, you exactly. Know, uh, hard liquor versus beer versus what you know, right? Natural wines, or 100%. you know, you know, you know the whole drill, right? Absolutely. So, uh, yep, very good. So, so now I get to 2015 um, Easter weekend. So this is where this is the this is the part where I get to what happened. Um, so Easter weekend, my wife goes out of town. Um, my mom had come to live with me, and she hadn't met her alcoholic son yet, but she did this week. So as soon as my wife was out of town, it's game on, and, yeah. and I'm binge drinking. And, and, and it got so bad that my, that my mom and my daughter, my stepdaughter, Amanda, had to hide, try to hide my alcohol from me. But I had it stashed all over the house, and mm -hmm. I had it already planned. I spent a whole bunch of time planning what I was going to drink while my wife was out of town. So anyway, I was supposed to take my mom up to northern Minnesota to see her family Good Friday. I was too blitzed to do that. Mom had enough common sense to say, hell no, you're not driving me. So I decided it'd be a great idea, loaded, to go to the Mall of America um, and um, went to the movie theater, drank a bottle of wine, oh, and I went, to, I went to Hooters, had some, some wings and beer, then went to the movie theater, drank a bottle of wine, went to uh, the movie Kingsman, passed out, came back, went to Hooters, had another couple beers, and then by this point, my, 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 my brother-in-law and my son, my stepson Ryan were calling me. They were very worried about me. And they're like, where are you at? We're going to come get you. No, you have to come get me. I'm fine. Right. And um, I just bought a new truck, and I have a Honda Ridgeline truck, and it has one of those, the, the, the lights on a Honda Ridgeline truck, it's a big rubber knob on the dashboard. Even when sober, I wouldn't know, I'd forget to turn the lights on. So Good Friday, I decided it'd be a great idea to drive myself home to St. Michael um, with the lights off, just the running lights. And wow. I made it to Maple Grove before I got pulled over mm. and I got pulled over by the state patrol. And, you know, I knew the gig was up. I just yeah. knew. Right. And yeah. um, the state, and by the way, the state patrol officer treated me extremely well, better than I deserved. Mm -hmm. um, never handcuffed me until he took me to Hennepin County, this, the op processing center. He, I blew a point two, two in change in the field. And at that point, they've changed it subsequently, but the cutoff between a, a, a gross misdemeanor and misdemeanor DUI is 0.20. Right. And I did remember this. He actually, God bless him, he, I didn't deserve this. He shouldn't have really done this, but he decided to, he just kind of putzed around in his little office back at the, at, the, at the Hennepin County Processing Center and putzed around long enough that when he gave me the real test, I was 0.19. Wow. Um, at the final end, he had to hand me off to be processed through Hennepin County Jail. My wife finds out what's going on. She wanted me in jail all weekend. They don't do that in Hennepin County. Sherburn, they would have. Um, <laughs> so, so she was not happy that I got out right away. She wanted me to feel the weight of the consequences of my action, which mm -hmm. is great because she's right. Anyway, so only when he handed me off to the jailers to be processed, he loosely put the handcuffs up front. And, you know, and I'm like, well, thank you for treating me so well. I was like, well, thank you for you know, cooperating and being very respectful. As I remember when he lit me up, I pulled over like immediately. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, I didn't, I didn't try to hide anything or whatever. And, and, um, so anyway, um, I called my stepson for a ride home, you know, and, and I'm like, uh, can, I, can I have a ride home? And my wife had said, you are not giving him a ride home. Mm. And Ryan was like, not happy with me. Mm. So I ended up cabin it back home. Um, you know, I knew, I knew the, con- the hammer was going to fall when the wife came back on Monday. You were a so, doghouse city. Oh yeah. So Easter Sunday though, here's an important thing. So Easter Sunday, um, my, my sister and her husband were coming over. He's also, I believe he's also one of us. I'm not sure, but well, he can say that. But I, my step, my, my, my brother-in-law, I asked him, Hey, can you, can you bring some beer with, mm. you know, cause I want, I gotta, I gotta at least get the most out of this before the hammer mm-hmm. falls. So I'm out on my porch drinking with him and my son and my daughter's, my daughter's fiance, they sub since broke up and my daughter's fiance were there. His name's David. And then there's Ryan. And they're really worried about me. Ryan smokes and he knows I hate that he smokes. Cause you know, I rescued the oldest one from a, you know, second. Absolutely. So he goes, Ryan made this offer to me. He said, you know, cause he thought he knows how much I care about him, you know? And he said, Hey, if you stop drinking tonight, I'll stop smoking. Of course, you know, what do I do? Oh sure. Yeah, absolutely. No oh, problem. Yeah. yeah. So Ryan, I'm waiting for Ryan. I'm like, oh, can we please leave son? As soon as he goes, you know, oblivious to the fact that David's still there. I'm, back drinking with my brother-in-law so david sees this and dutifully reports it to ryan and thank god that he did so um wife comes back on monday and my, by the way easter sunday of 15 was my last day drinking you're not going with god willing so april 6 2015 my first day sober the wife comes back and she tells me something and she says you know ryan told just i just had a conversation with ryan you know what he told me and i go what and he said, uh, Mom, I love Alan to death. But I think Alan's hopeless. Mm. And I think you should leave him. Oh, man. And uh, I'll help oh. you move and find a place. Oh, man. Now, most normal people, that would be a wake-up call. But me, you know, it's all about me, right? I'm the victim. You know, I, it, I'm the center of my own universe. I really didn't it didn't hit me oh now being in trouble i had to get an interlock on my truck i got i oh by the way don't laugh i voluntarily went back to treatment to look good, <laughs> to look good in front of the judge i'd never been in trouble right i spent my whole life being a goody two-shoes right right so went into treatment again and i got to the treatment group same drill i don't belong you guys are the worst drug of choice um you know, um, I'm just going to get the heat off me. I'll do the UAs. That's fine. I'll, fine. I won't drink. Uh, yep, you know, I, I know what they want, right? Yep. And no, I know. I start, yep. Go ahead. Yeah. I know what they want from me. Right. Very easy to give you what you want so I can get out from the other side of this and uh, get back to what I want to do. Yep. So, exactly. So, I even thought about, hey, if I'm doing a UA on Tuesdays, of course, they can always do them whenever they want. You know, how much could I drink to where I could still pass the UA? These thoughts crossed my mind, but I'm like, well, I know I got the heat on me, so I better not, you know. So anyway, check in every week. We'd have three hour, three days of three hours of group and then one, a one-on-one, one-hour day. The check-ins for group on the first Tuesday, the first day of, of group each week check-in was last sponsor contact. Yeah, I don't need a sponsor. Last day or 12-step meeting, sorry. Yeah, I don't need a 12-step meeting. I'm doing smart recovery online. I'll show you. I'll show you. I'm doing smart. So I went back to smart, 
reactivated my account. I, I made a no-no. I reactivated under Sleepless in Minnesota, and they got mad. They're like, no, 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 you already have an account. You, you get back to Sleepless in Seattle. I'm like, yeah. all right. <laughs> now I start going again, but now I'm starting to be like, you know, I don't know. I mean, I, some of the people in my group would actually do some of the exercises they, they said, and they got results. There was a guy in my group that I still go to meetings with and named Darren, and great guy. And he's like, he started using these deep breathing exercises when the wife calls at 945 on Saturday saying, I'm staying over at my sister's. And he had to do the deep breathing to 10.05 until the liquor store closed. That's by the time in Minnesota, by the way. I go, why 10.05? He's like, well, because the, the liquor store already knows me. So I had to get past <laughs> certain boundary <laughs> absolutely but, but i'm like you know what this stuff worked for the guy i thought mm -hmm. i thought people were lying when they said these tools work so mm -hmm. in any way three weeks into forced sobriety here's the key part this is this my spiritual awakening three weeks in this sobriety forced sobriety i didn't you know do my ad like you were trying to say i i alan up until this point alan wanted to want to quit yeah i didn't want to quit right and I was in my group, and I did this big presentation on smart recovery. I still have it. I'll, I can share it with you if you want, but I've, I've updated it. But I did this big presentation PowerPoint. I even got online, and we went on the big monitor in our group room, and we went into an online meeting that was going on. And, boy, I thought it was all that. You know, look at me. You know, you guys are, you guys are you know, whatever. But I'm, I'm, I'm the star person in this group, you know. The star people, pupil. Oh, star pupil, yep. And so people started asking me questions, and I don't know how this happened, and I, I know God had a hand in this, Charlie, but somehow the topic of my stepson came up. Then my wife's words came back. Alan, Mom, Ryan's words came back to my wife. Mm -hmm. Mom, I love Alan, but I think Alan's hopeless, mm -hmm. and I think you should leave him, mm -hmm. and I'll help you move. Mm -hmm. Now this time I'm like, you know, here's the one person I have no resentments towards who's taken bullets for me since he's nine. Now he's 20. At the time, he was 20. He's, he's, he was since he was nine. He sees me as hopeless. And it's not that I found my willingness to do this for him, but I saw myself through his eyes. And I realized I was in 12-step world. I was at step one. I was powerless over alcohol. And my life was unmanageable. I broke down and I cried and I cried and I cried and I cried. And it was just as, just as if I was in a dark room the whole time and someone flipped the lights on. Mm. And that's when I had heard about this group in Big Lake. And I'm like a Monday night group, a big book study. And I'm like, you know, I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm yeah. going to go to a meeting. I never wanted to go. I thought I'd show contempt prior investigation. I thought, oh, <laughs> you know, a 12-step meeting. Sorry. But, um, you know, I thought, hey. And we're only using your first initial so we could talk whatever program of choice. So I got uh, you. But it's 12-step. Yeah. Yep, 12-step. Absolutely. But anyway, so. So, um, so I, I, you know, up until this point, you know, I, my attitude about 12 step was that I thought it'd be like Michael, Michael Keaton and clean and movie clean and sober. I'd be, I just chose to believe this. I had no basis for it. Never been to a meeting. I said, they're going to put me in an auditorium and I'm going to go in front of a microphone and admit I'm an alcoholic to a bunch of people. I'm like, I'm not going to do that, you know? And when I was in treatment before the spiritual awakening, they brought a guy out from Minneapolis Intergroup to talk to what's called an information talk. And this guy was just a regular guy. His name was Paul, I believe, just a nice guy. You know, he's yeah. one of those truck driver dudes that goes around with the big, huge, mega, like garbage can thing full of pop and, you know, wore a, wore a down vest. Just a nice guy. And I'm like, maybe I was wrong. Hmm. And so I heard about this meeting in Big Lake, and after that spiritual awakening, I went to my first meeting. Now I get mm. there, and all the guys that raised their hand for, I, and I knew I needed to have a male sponsor. All the guys that raised their hand 
I, 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 this is my ego again. I'm like, well, you guys are all wimps. You know, if I'm going to do this thing, I want like the Zen master sponsor from like Kill Bill Part 2 where I have to go up the stair, a thousand flights of stairs of the water. It's going to call me out on all my crap. And I, 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 it's just how arrogant I am. I actually said a little prayer to, my, to God. I'm like, you know, you brought me here. So I want someone older than me who's got, who's got wor worse trouble than me, my one DUI, um, who, who's been sober at least 10 years, who will call me out on all my crap. You think you can make that happen? Second, second week, same meeting, Big Lake. The guy who founded the meeting had left when the group conscious had changed. And he's sitting around Big Lake with his grandkids, and this is May of 15, and he gets this thing like, you know, I don't know why. I think I need to go back to the, to the Big Lake Big Book meeting and check it out. I, I don't know. I, I just need to go. So he went. So here's this guy's profile. Six DUIs, six driving after revocations, sober for, at that time, 15 years, um, older than me by five years, and had the kind of personality that called me out all my crap. <laughs> higher powers way of saying alan be careful what you ask that's for. right we found your guy we found your guy and 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 so he was used to he was used to kind of like manipulating and volunt doing the voluntold thing about the guys to ask him to sponsor him i came right up in the meeting I'm like would you sponsor me will you sponsor me he's like well uh, uh, uh let's go outside and talk i'll have a cigarette you know we talked and he became my sponsor and He's like a Zen master sponsor. So it's like, we're going to meet together. I'm going to come to your house. We're going to go through the, the book, you know, the, a book. We're going to do the steps. Um, I'm going to give you, you know, your requirements are, Alan. You're going to call me every day for now. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We're going to go to one meeting a week, and um, we're going to do step work. Now, everything else is a suggestion, but be careful, Alan, because suggestion in this context is, oh, we're in Ball of Wisconsin at a plane at 10,000 feet. Now, we're going to jump out. I suggest you grab a parachute. Absolutely. You don't have to. Absolutely. And I suggest it. <laughs> Absolutely. And so one of the things he had me do early in my recovery, three months into my recovery, this was foreign to me, Charlie. It's completely foreign to me. I thought it was crazy. Because he'd say, by the way, I'll ask you to do stuff. You can ask why, and sometimes it's because I said so. So this is an I said so. So I call him to check in, you know, and he's like, it's like a Saturday afternoon and like probably June, and he's like, what are you doing today? I'm like, I'm going to mow my lawn. Oh, great. I got a suggestion for you. I'm like, what's that? When you're done mowing your lawn, you got a neighbor? Yeah. Mow your neighbor's lawn and make sure he doesn't see you. <laughs> what? Are you kidding me? I'm like, yeah. no, 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 no. Yeah. Mow the lawn, mow your neighbor's lawn, make sure they don't see you. Now, if they see you, Go to the next, after you're done with that lawn, go to the next neighbor and do their lawn and keep and repeat until you've done it where no one has seen you do it. I'm like, this is insane. Why? Right. Because right. I said so. And so Absolutely. I'm out doing, so I'm out mowing the lawn and that's when the light bulb and this part of my, the recovery hit me. I'm like, oh, it's not all about me. Right. It's right. about me being of service to others. And I started learning that being a, besides the step work and everything else, being of service to others really started making, not expecting anything in return, made me feel really good. And so I still do that now. Like my, I, you know, I, I've subsequently moved to a lake home and my neighbor has a, he's the, he's the mayor of Hanover and he doesn't have, they're only there part time. And so I started mowing their lawn because they aren't there. And, and all of a sudden I think his wife texts me. It's like, um, 
Alan, are you mowing our lawn? Like, <laughs> no, I got busted. <laughs> you know, so it's I, very similar. My sponsor was very similar very early on, told me that I needed to do something for somebody else every day. And if I told somebody about it, it didn't count. Right. Yeah. Right. Yep. And that was that lesson in humility and being of service and getting out of myself. And he says, it doesn't have to be anything spectacular. In fact, the more, the less spectacular it is, the better, right? Like, yep. you know, you don't need to, um, you know, give somebody a thousand dollars, you know, and, you know, uh, whatever, open doors and, you know, uh, let somebody in when they're trying to get in in traffic, little stuff, right? That means something to somebody and then don't tell anybody about it because right. that's the, because, because then it, because then you didn't do it for them. Yep. You did it for you. Yep. Exactly. So that's a big, became a big thing in my recovery. Um, in the 12 step world, doing steps with a sponsor was big doing steps four and five was huge. Um, being that God was my higher power, you know, I remember I accepted Christ in 77 at Luther Point Confirmation Camp. And if an angel had come and said, hey, Alan, like a, like a, um, uh, it's a wonderful life kind of thing, or a Christmas carol kind of thing, if he, he had, like, if he, an angel had come and said, hey, would you like me to show you the, the next two most spiritual moments of your life that's going to happen? I'd be like, sure. So, I no doubt the first one had been the, the day I would think, I'm guessing in my human understanding that it would have been maybe the, you know, April or sorry, March 18th, 1990, when my son was born. That was pretty mm -hmm. cool. But then he would have taken me, I'm sure, to the night that I did step five with my sponsor in my house. And I know I've been like, uh, that, that guy? <laughs> no, 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 no. You, 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 you got the wrong tape, buddy. Right. Play that back, you know, or find the right one, right? right. But it was that was one of the, that's one of the most top spiritual experiences in my life, um, and I had, and it cost me more in my DUI. I'm not kidding. I swear to God, doing step five cost me more in my DUI. Now my DUI cost me plenty. Mm. Attorney, mm -hmm. um, I had to go. And I had a, my I got whiskey plates because my BAC was so high. My wife was like, I ain't having those. I you know she works at she works at you know at a bank. So I, we had to go and get her another car, yep. um, a nice car with, in her name with, so that she didn't have to have the whiskey plates, a bunch of stuff, right? But when I did step four and five, I felt so good afterwards. I, I actually bought my wife um, a new engagement ring, mm. and it cost me a bunch because that's how good I felt. I started to feel like I belong again, not only mm. to 12-step and smart recovery, but to the human race, mm. you know? Mm -hmm. And um, anyway, so, so you're starting to, to do this program, this really, this, these actions, you're taking these actions and sometimes they don't make sense when we do them, but we do them in order and you're doing them with a sponsor and you're doing them as they're laid out in the book and you're starting to see some, you're starting to feel some, some change. Yeah. Yes. Oh, significantly. Um, and um, at the same time, I, I got back in with, you know, so just to be clear with your listeners, what saved my life was 12-step, period. Mm -hmm. Okay. Smart did not sober me up. However, smart recovery has some things that there are a lot of, you know, we can go into the, you know, the I think your podcast with Dennis went into a lot of good information. My two cents are, and I think you guys touched on it. There's, you said it. 
there's a lot more in common than there are differences. Absolutely. Don't say that too loudly to uh, <laughs> both sides. And I, by the way, I've learned like when I'm, when I'm in one program, I don't talk about the other. That's right. a bad deal. Um, yep. 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 But um, one of the things, you know, we, uh, one of the things that happened, I, I, I began to say, you know what, I'm going to go in and start using the tools in smart recovery. I'm going to go in and start using my sponsor. I'm not going to treat them as we have a term in 12 step sponsor Reno sponsor and name only. No, I'm going to use my sponsor that my sponsor doesn't call me. I call him and I learned to ask for help. Even at, even now at, at 58 months of continuous sobriety, thanks to smart recovery and, and more, more thanks to 12 step and my higher power. Even now, if I, if, if people disappoint me in my life, I call for help. Yeah. No doubt. I mean, immediately yeah. I call for help because I have to get outside my own head. And I always, I might even call you, Charlie and say, Hey, here's what's going on. You know, and what am I not seeing? Right. Absolutely. And I always get and I always get good info. And you know, if you're like me, your higher power, my higher power speaks through other people. But if Amen. I'm not, but exactly. if I'm not actively trying to get that message from other people, I'm not going to hear it. Yep. And and um, I mean, there's so much I could go into and what my life is like now. But um, you know, like at the beginning, you know, I, I hid behind anonymity, not really understanding what, you know, in, in within 12 step, what does it be, you know, what does it mean to be anonymous or an, anonymity or whatever? And I, and I started realizing at a public level, probably not good for me to go out on, you know, on a, on a public news thing and, you know, my full name and say, Oh, I'm the poster child for sobriety. And then when I relapse, you know, it's, right. you know, God forbid right. that happened, but you know, good. hundred percent. Doesn't look good. But the other, but I what, what one of the things that happened to demonstrate what it means is I was at um, I went I was at a group training a group fitness class at Lifetime Fitness one earlier in my recovery, and I was talking to another guy that that goes to a group that's fairly well known here in the Twin Cities, and we were having a lively discussion on the treadmills. And my voice carries, you know, captain of the debate team, you know, and the next day. The next day, I'm in the men's locker room, and it's really, really, really nice gentleman, a few years older than me. He was kitty corner getting dressed, and he go, he just turns around randomly and says, uh, "Excuse me, excuse me, are you in twelve step? Twelve step?" And I'm like, uh, "Yeah. How do you know that? Well, I heard you talking yesterday, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, quite honestly, my son needs some help." And it uh, goes from there, right? Mm -hmm. And so I was able to give him some suggestions about, you know, 12-step calls and intergroup, things that we do, right? Absolutely. And when we make a decision, I make a decision to recover out loud, right? And, and I embrace my sobriety and embrace my recovery. And I'm not, I'm not bashful about sharing that uh, with folks. Everybody that I know for any meaningful length of time knows that I'm in recovery and that I uh, am sober, what they don't know and what I don't go into unless I, unless I think it's going to be helpful is my particular program of choice and those kinds of things. But if I'm, but if I'm trying to be the best example of recovery I can be on a, regular, on, a, on a given day, and some days are better than others, there's no doubt, and, and somebody wants to know more, right? because they know that I'm sober and they know that I'm in recovery, then I have the ability then to be able to share how I, you know, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. Right. And, yep. and that includes my program of recovery. So uh, I don't have a, a leather jacket that, you know, um, uh, has my 12 step program of choice on it. Um, mm -hmm. But I, but I, I do 
uh, I I do recover out loud, and I think that gives me the opportunity to be of service to the people that I'm supposed to be of service to. No, that's very good. Um, like you, I like you. You stay in touch with your higher power. I believe that my higher power puts me into situations. If I like, when I go to meetings, I tell people, especially like my home group, um, my face to face meetings, like I'm going to look at you because I. Your, my higher power may be speaking to me through you. Don't take it personally. Absolutely. But, but I focus on what they have to say. I'm not off knitting or on my phone because I could get a piece of life-saving information. The biggest one I've gotten from a speaker meeting was someone um, at, my, at, a, at a group I used to go to in Golden Valley, and she said, and I think I shared this with you earlier when we were talking offline, but I was like, she shared that, you, uh, that you know, I forgot to ask for help. And here's someone that had been sober for many, many years, didn't think she could or should, or maybe it was ego. But my ego could easily say, yeah, you know, don't ask for help. And I, I know I've had it. I have to ask for help. And that's and, a humbling uh, experience to ask for help. We have to it humble is. ourselves in order to be able to get to a place where we can ask for help. But what we get in return is, uh, is something quite spiritual. It, it is. And my my first sponsor, oh, I didn't tell you. So my first sponsor that I had um, at one year fired me. I didn't drink, but my ego started coming out. When mm-hmm. I got the one year, it was like, it, it was, it was, and, I, and he was really getting annoyed with me. <laughs> he likes the humble Alan. He didn't like the proud Alan. And yeah. so he fired me. And um, he meant for me to find my humility and ask me to sp- ask and ask him to sponsor me. And I just moved on and found a different <laughs> Um, who's still, right. who's still my sponsor today. Um, but, you know, that first sponsor and I, we still do go to meetings. We're going to go to a big national conference together at the end of this month in uh, warm and sunny and tropical Billings, Montana. Uh, and, uh, you know, it's pretty cool. Um, and I love the idea Alan, that you're working both programs in parallel because I really believe that smart recovery and the 12 steps are complementary. They are the things, the things that there's certain aspects. I think that the 12 steps is, uh, is a little light on, uh, that is, is the strong suit of smart and vice versa. Right. And really for, for all intents and purposes, I think, you know, the practical cognitive behavioral therapy tools of smart recovery are tremendous. And the spiritual piece for me in the 12 step program is transformational, right? So when you combine this transformational spiritual program with this really, really impactful tools of smart recovery in the CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy, that's a really great one-two punch. It it really is. And then so on that note, the smart recovery um, when I got back involved, I became a facilitator. Got they they go through smart recovery. Actually, has training you have to go through. They've gone through three different meeting protocols. Most recently, on the same as we're using now, Zoom meeting. Zoom meeting with smart recovery meetings is very very exciting. It, it's actually become very similar to a face to face, as close as you can get. And so, and the other thing about smart is that it's besides it's CBT and REBT, I believe all these acronyms. Um, it it's all addictive behaviors, and a lot right. of times in doing the twelve step work, and I go and I and I spent the last up until this year now I spent two years talking to non alcoholic professionals in twelve step, and saying here's where the meetings are, here's what we're doing, here's what we don't do, and I went to um, a Wright Technical Center and talked to a great school counselor, and I talk, I did her I gave her my information about twelve step, and she's like you know this is really great, however. Uh, 
a lot of my students have don't have a problem with alcohol, at least not yet. They have a problem with marijuana, you know? And so um, this is where I had to kind of go out on a limb and I'm like, well, I'm not really here for this, but here, this is my smart recovery card, you know, take this and call me in the morning. So we can, we can, you know, smart has a, has an answer for that. Right. Absolutely. Um, Where it gets a little weird for me and smart recovery is that I think I'm uniquely qualified to help, help other men that have a problem with alcohol and so coincidentally, you know, that's, you know, I do sponsor other men now. And, 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 and I, and I, oh, by the way, ironically, um, David, who's, was my daughter's, um, um, now he's, the, he's, he's still a friend of the family. Um, him and my daughter decided to, to go their separate ways, but we're, we're still very friendly. Well, David brought his grandfather to hear me speak at a speaker meeting. Mm. And that grandfather, I'd never, I never, I, I know the family, it's weird, but I never had met his grandfather. Yeah. And um, he asked me to sponsor him. Oh, that's really cool. And, you know, we both have something in common, my sponsee and I, that we both, we've both disappointed um, David at some point. And David, <laughs> we've both lied to him about our use. Right. Um, right. But in any event, Smart Recovery, um, you know, they, getting into being, in the, for being a facilitator for about, I think it's been at least three years, going on four years. Um, I actually had a chance to train some facilitators in, and, um, you know, Dennis, actually, I didn't train him, but I had a hand in doing it, but he, it is his primary program. And so that was great yes. that you were able to do the show you dedicated towards smart versus 12 step. You, you couldn't have found a better person to, to, to guide you through what smart's been doing. That was a tremendous interview and really, really, uh, tremendously insightful in terms of 12 step and smart. And, uh, you know, we embrace all pathways. Uh, on this podcast, uh, 12-step, I, I will always say, is my program of choice in Save My Life. And, but we embrace all pathways. Right. And one of the things I like on episode 175 that you said, because I was thinking it as it was, was listening, and I was like, I really like you said this, Charlie, is I got asked, I put a breakfast on for non-alcohol professionals two years in a row here in, in Wright County. And the first year, we had some clergy there, and they said, well, we have these people in our, we have these people in my, my parish that have sobered up through celebrate recovery or, yes. or Bible study. Yes. You know, and they were like, what do you think? You know, there was a, it was all of us that we, we were organizing. We were up just to answer. And I took the question because I just read this in a book and I said, well, 12 step or this, or this program, the founder of it said, and you said it on your podcast, 12 step does not have a monopoly on the truth. Absolutely. And that's that very true. 100% true. Yep. No, uh, and, but, and, and, and not, none of us do, right? We're just trying to, you know, if, if, if we're really pursuing recovery and I'm trying to get well, then, then I'm going to be open to anything that could be potentially helpful. Amen. And, you know, but if someone comes to me and says, Al, you know, they say, Hey, what, what, what works for you? I'm going to, I'm not going to, my default setting, if it's, if their drug of choice is just alcohol, it's going to be smart 12 step. Yeah. That's going to be my default. Now, if they don't like that and they've had a bad experience and I try to encourage them to go to a meeting that resonates with them, they don't want to, then yeah, then I've got smart recovery and you, if you want to think you're doing something radically different, that's great. Good for you. You know, right. I just kind of smile right. and, 100%. So, and like, okay, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. You know, and we have some people in SMART that are volunteers that say just to even mention a 12-step is a trigger for them. And I'm like, sure. well, okay. I, that's, okay. And that, you know, to me, that's like that. It feels like your own deal, right? There's some things that you might need to figure out, right? Um, mm-hmm. If that's the case. And, 
you know, uh, that's not my place. And, you know, at some point, maybe you, 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 you work some of that stuff out. Same with, I think, you know, 12 steppers that, you know, have disdain for uh, um, other programs of recovery. I feel like, you know, that's stuff that you need to probably reckon with your own self at some point, right? Yep. Um, uh, and, uh, and that to, Alan, this has been tremendous. Uh, before we close, I want, I want the one book that you read in recovery that really made a big difference for you. Um, uh, uh, whether that was a spiritual book, whatever that, what book made a huge difference for you in your recovery? Um, I guess for me, it would probably be the um, Alcohol Addiction and Cure book. I think that's the one from pa Pax. Is that his name? It's called uh, uh, Alcohol Addiction and Cure. Yes. Yeah. The, 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 um, the guy who wrote it has a, he has a treatment center and it's called Passages Malibu. Yeah. You ever seen their commercial? Absolutely. So they have a book, him and his dad co-wrote a book and I read it before I really got super involved in smart recovery, certainly before 12 step. And he went into his journey with his drug of choice was heroin, but went into it with a lot of detail and especially around, you know, um, just deep, you know, what it's like to detox from that drug and everything else. But the bigger picture is he found out in his life, he had to find out the core reason why he was using. Mm. And it really has something to do with his relationship with his dad and him not wanting to disappoint his dad. Mm. And that planted the seed in my mind that, you know, I need to find out the core reason why, you know, I've, I, and I didn't word it this way when I read it, but now I would say why alcohol is my solution. Right. right? Mm. And, and, you know, and then when you do, by, but, but by doing 12-step work with a sponsor instead of myself I, and really going through a step four list and making a searching, a fearless searching moral inventory of myself and then admitting it to my higher power, God, and myself and another human being, which I did with my sponsor, that really got me to understand that, you know, it's, it's I'm, I'm here I thought I was, I, I was this person, I, I scuba dive with tiger sharks, true story. Yeah. But I'm full yeah. of fear. I'm full of fear, right. you know, and I had fear of loss of control of my kids, especially my oldest son, fear of loss of status with my family for having gained weight and having a bunch of other things going on. And, um, you know, now, um, you know, I have a way, I have a solution. You know, for me, 12-step is in smart recovery in their own ways, each provide a design of living for me. And, and at the end of the day, you know, I, it's one day at a time. And I, like I said I think earlier, I try to become, I'm hoping that these programs will make me a little bit of time more self-correct, self self-aware and self-correcting. And, you know, sobriety medallions and things are great. And chips, those are all great because I think it gives newcomers a chance to see what can possibly happen. Yes. But I, I choose not, I take those when I get my, my you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be five. If, I was going to say, you got five years coming up. Yeah, God willing, if yep. I get there, but you know, I'll probably put it on my monitor on my on my desk at work. What I really want to have in place of that is have my actions tell people I've become sold on a lot of the ideas in in those programs, and not that I'm perfect, but the stuff that used to send me off the edge that I've got emotional. So it's not enough for me to put the plug in the jug. I want to be happy, joyous, and free, Absolutely. and I want I want to have the things that really send me off the edge before be like. Yeah, you know, well, I'll think about that. And when my water kids off wanna, a duck's back, yeah, that's right. And when my adult children want to do their own thing, 
you know, many year, years ago when I got custody, but I didn't tell you this, years ago when I got custody of Brandon in 90, and this is 90, I got custody of him in 97. 98, the internet comes of age. And so being in IT, I wrote a website. And guess what I made the website of? I, I basically put it as a, you know, to my, to my ex about, you know, how I got custody of my son. You were a bad mom. I'm great. Fathers of the world unite. Here's sure. what I did. Mm. Here's how you, and so I, I got a producer found my website for a show called Men Are From Mar Mars, Women Are From Venus, hosted by Sybil Shepherd. So in 2000, they flew me out to Los Angeles. You know, this is before I knew I was an alcoholic, and I'm on the show. Gloria Allred, the attorney, you know, that yes. she's typically, she's usually not advocating for fathers, you know, in, in, in men in general. I, my personal, this my experience watching her, but she actually does. She actually heard my story, and she told me right on air, you definitely should add custody to your son. So I'm, I'm thinking, hey, I'm father of the year. I, I was at a, I was at a meeting this morning. I was telling the story. I'm, I think I'm father of the year. You Absolutely. know, that's what I was. But at the end of the day, you know what? Um, they should have did if they, what they should have had me on is not the show on child custody to be the dad who got custody of his child. They should have had a show on the worst controlling dads of the United States or the world. And they mm. should have had me on as a prime example of what not to do. Mm. Because I was a very controlling dad, especially mm. with my oldest son. Mm. And he wasn't really, he's got Asperger's syndrome and he wasn't really well equipped to handle it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But any, in any event, you know what? Now my adult children, you know, we, I, I, you know, I don't try to control what they're doing. And these are things I've And you know what? That's such a tremendous, it's not easy, man. That is not easy. And, uh, you know, I was a single father for a while, too, of two kids. And my oldest, I uh, definitely exerted a lot of control over him. Uh, and today, uh, thank, thanks to my higher power, I am able to allow him at 18 years old to make his own choices. And sometimes they're not so good. And, gotcha. and, and that's okay though. Right. I can right. only offer my wisdom, my experience, strength and hope. I can't make him do anything. Right. Right. And, um, it's, it's a, in it's a, it's a gift to be able to let that go, but still know that I love and care for him. And I'm yeah. there for him, right? I feel and, you, man. I and that's you. a difference, man. And, and, and that's, that's a gift of recovery. It is. One of the last things I'll share with you, and you'll, you can have, a, I'll give you a picture if you want to share it. But so, um, you know, when I, the step, my stepkids came into, life in, into my life in 98. They've always called me Alan. They've never called me dad. I've never asked them to. Um, I drove my oldest son away, but we're coming back. He lives in Arkansas. He's doing, he's, he's got his own his, his, his focus in life being with a person with Asperger's is God. So he does these sermons online. And um, anyway, um, you know, he's, he hasn't been around. I haven't heard him call me dad in a while. And I took a friend of mine out of my lake. On, I live on a lake. We went fishing. He brought his son and son-in-law. I heard his son the Saturday before Father's Day last year saying, hey, dad, do you want another fishing lure? Hey, dad, are you okay? And that night I broke down and cried. Because I realized I haven't heard anyone, you know, I haven't heard my oldest son call me that, you mm. know, and that's my fault, right? Mm. So I told my, my wife that and my kids couldn't, my stepkids couldn't be with me for Father's Day. But the next week they took me out and we went out to a Mexican restaurant and my daughter hands me this card. Now they're, my daughter is a, a NICU nurse for premature babies. My son's a successful automotive technician. They're both hugely successful people. They, they give me this Father's Day card. No, it'll be backwards, but I'll show this to you. You can see it. 
but she wrote oh that them. is the that is that is the coolest thing i have seen in a really long time that is so cool yeah so she's she my name's my name alan's on it she put an x through it, and then she put dad and they both said we want to call you dad from now on and at my my son got married on labor day week the weekend before labor day weekend and he came up to me and you know his, him and him and his dad his dad and i get along great i i we, I think he's, we, we really get along great, but he came up to me and he said, he said, Hey dad, he never said this directly to me before. First time in my life at his wedding night. He said, Hey, Hey dad, I want you to know you're number one in my life and you always will be. So we've gone from, I think you should leave Alan and I love him, but I think you should, you should leave him and I'll, I'm gonna help you move to dad. Um, you know what? I love you. You're number one and you'll always be number one. And you know what? I couldn't have had that with, if it wasn't for, recovery of my higher power and um such a beautiful 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 story to really encapsulate what's possible if we do the hard work of recovery because it's work it's mm -hmm. real work yep but there's real rewards that yep. come from it if we're willing to do the work yep and one thing uh, last thing i guess i keep it keeps saying the last thing but one of the things that my sponsor is recommended I do now is when those cool things happen and they do to take those and, and storm away up here and freeze them because when the valleys come and they do because others will disappoint Alan life disappoints Alan Alan disappoints himself people that, will let you down they do and they, they will yeah so so one of the things I can do if I can't call someone right away is to pull one of those mountaintop experiences out like the one I just shared and relive it to get through the valley that's a, and i do that is a that is a great i love that i love that tool we're going to put that in the show notes too because i think that's a tremendous tool because the longer we are sober and the longer we are living a life of recovery the more we realize that life gets lifey and when yeah, life that's gets true yeah <laughs> lifey and people let us down mm -hmm. and uh we lose people in our lives for one reason or another and it, 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 it feels unfair and unjust that we can take some of the take we can we can re-experience those magical moments again too yep and that's that's how i've been able to put together you know 58 months of continuous sobriety one day at a time from alcohol um and, um, you know, it's just, it's just been great. You know, life's not perfect, but, you know, I can deal with life's and life's terms. I have a design for living. And, um, you know, and now I have to give it away. You know, my first sponsor, um, that Zen master sponsor, you know, he lives, he set up his life to live very simply so he can be of service to others. And, you know, I, that's the example I have. So there's times where, you know, I have to get in the car, get my sponsee, go across town, take him to a meeting and, you know, meet up with him early and do some step work. But, you know, I do it because I have to give this away. I can't keep it. And you I did can. a tremendous job giving it away today, Alan. So thank you so much for being on the Way Out podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure and we will not be strangers. Thank you, my friend. All right. Thank you. Thank you for being a part of the Way Out. We appreciate your ears. We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, 
TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.